Something beyond comprehension is happening to a little girl on this street, in this house. A man has been sent for as a last resort to try and save her. Hello, brothers and sisters, and welcome back to the Religion and Horror series. Tonight, we're discussing The Exorcist from 1973, written by William Peter Blatty and directed by William Friedkin. And I am so happy to welcome back good friend of the pod, Nat. Welcome back, Nat. Thanks for having me, man. Happy to be here. I think you were the first guest maybe I ever had on my first women in horror show that's I'm pretty crazy. sure you were the first I think you're right because we were at the convention yes oh my yeah. god yeah you're right wow, <laughs> so you're crazy. like you're like OG like best friend of the pod we're here we've been here since day one yeah <laughs> so um give people a little bit of your religious background because that's kind of going to lead into how we know each other Sure. Um, so my name's Nat. Um, I grew up in Tampa. Uh, my parents are Puerto Rican. And growing up, I was raised, uh, well, when I was a baby, they were Catholic. And I was baptized in the church. But then they kind of fell away from religion. And when they did find it again, I was, I think, like nine or 10. And they started going to a Spanish Pentecostal church. And that's pretty much where I lived until right after high school or so. And then I did not elect <laughs> <laughs> to continue on that path. No shade to those folks, but found myself in a very different position um, and um, started to like deconstruct and reconstruct like a lot of us did in like 2011, 2012. Found the BC pod, um, which... I don't know if they're still going, but RIP if they are not. And <laughs> uh, found a community of people there, which is where I met Nicole. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that the Bad Christian Podcast is still a thing. I think they changed it to something else. Um, mm. But yeah, just for those of you who have never heard of it, um, it was a podcast, but also turned into like a community of, of people who are all trying to figure out... Um, you know, this kind of system I grew up in is, is not it. Um, I'm not maybe maybe I'm not ready to leave faith completely behind, but I want to be yeah. in a place where I can ask questions. I can be with like minded people. I can grow as a person. I can grow in my faith. And um, so, yeah, we we met a lot of really cool people through BC and a lot of them like, well, not a lot, but several of them are people that are still in my life. And so I remember part of that, there was like sort of a little like movement within it to maybe start house churches. And so you and AJ were like, oh, well, we're going to have a meeting at the park in Tampa to talk about possibly starting a group. <laughs> and David oh, and I man. think were like the only people that showed yep. up. It was and, you and David and yeah. AJ's sister and yes. brother-in-law. God bless them. Um, yeah. We were actually coming off the heels of the house church that was started by one of the guys that founded BC over in Charleston, South Carolina, mm -hmm. when we moved back home. And we're like, we could totally do this at home. And then like, no one showed up but y'all. 
Uh, so we ended up just becoming really good friends instead. We did. Like, we all just, <laughs> you and I realized very quickly that, like, oh, we're both artists and we both like spooky things. And so, yeah. like, you and I just really hit it off. And then, like, the four of us just always got along really well. For um, sure. Which is always great because, like, that doesn't always happen with couples, you know? I but, do. AJ and David had wrestling in common and it was great. No, it was the perfect storm for sure. Yeah. It's just always great hangs, great times, you Mm -hmm. know, grateful for it, dude. I used to follow your, um, funny. I think I told you this, but in case I hadn't, I used to follow your blog before you started doing podcasts Mm-hmm. And I was obsessed with your blog because I was like, this is so good. I hope I meet her. And here we are. <laughs> and here we are. We're real life friends. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. When I started this religion and horror series, I reached out to a few people. And you were one of the people at the top of my list. Because um, into religion, into horror. And I asked you, I was like, what movies do you want to do? And I am pretty sure I specifically was like, oh, I don't really want to do like some of the common ones like The Exorcist. And you were like, that's one of the ones I want to do. I'm like, damn, right away. <laughs> yeah. So I said, well, if you're interested in doing it, it'll be a great discussion and we'll do it. So um, that's why we are here. And I guess, honestly, you you really can't do a religion and horror series without talking about this movie. I think you have to. Um, for me, it's I hard think though, because there's so much yeah. like everything. Everything's been said about it, right? Exactly. It's intimidating. It's intimidating, but it doesn't matter because um, we're on our own podcast and it's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have thoughts too. <laughs> okay. Um, so now is the time, folks, when we are going to head into spoiler territory. So. If you haven't seen The Exorcist, you're very insane statement. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Go watch it and then come back. Somewhere between science and superstition, there is another world (gasps) the world of darkness. expected it. Nobody believed it. And nothing could stop it. There are no experts. You probably know as much about possession as most priests. Look, your daughter doesn't say she's a demon. She says she's the devil himself. I'm telling you that that thing upstairs isn't my daughter. I want you to tell me that you know for a fact that there's nothing wrong with my daughter except in her mind. You tell me you know for a fact that an exorcism wouldn't do any good. You tell me that! The one hope. The only hope. The exorcist. opens in Washington, D.C., introducing us to the peaceful life of actress Chris McNeil and her 12-year-old daughter, Reagan. They live in a charming house in the heart of Georgetown. Life seems ordinary until Reagan's behavior takes a sinister turn. At first, Chris dismisses it as the product of stress and loneliness that comes with her career. As Reagan's symptoms worsen, Chris becomes increasingly concerned. Reagan exhibits strange noises, bedwetting, and an alarming level of physical strength. Medical tests offer no explanation and doctors are baffled. Desperation sets in and Chris seeks help from Father Damien Karras, a priest and psychiatrist. Karras, struggling with his own crisis of faith following his mother's death, is reluctant to get involved. However, he agrees to evaluate Reagan's case. Karis's investigation reveals disturbing phenomena that defy conventional medical explanations. Reagan's behavior becomes increasingly violent and obscene. 
Karis starts to suspect that something supernatural is at play, shaking his fragile faith even further. In search of guidance, Karis approaches his superiors in the church, requesting permission to perform an exorcism. The church assigns Father Lancaster Marin, a seasoned exorcist, to assist Karis in this dangerous endeavor. Marin arrives at Chris's home and both priests begin the exorcism. Reagan, now fully possessed by the demon Pazuzu, unleashes a torrent of vile and blasphemous language. Her body contorts in grotesque ways, her skin becomes pallid, and her eyes turn a malevolent shade of yellow. The exorcism is an excruciating and terrifying ordeal for all involved. Marin, weakened by age and the countless exorcisms he's performed, prepares himself for the battle. As they recite prayers and perform rituals, Pazuzu taunts and tortures them relentlessly. During the grueling exorcism, Marin's health deteriorates rapidly. Despite his frailty, he remains determined to confront the demon. Reagan's body becomes more twisted and contorted, and the manifestations of evil intensify. In a shocking turn of events, Marin succumbs to the immense physical and spiritual strain, dying of a heart attack. Karis is left alone to face Pazuzu, who has now taken complete control of Reagan's body. Karis, driven by desperation and a newfound determination, engages in a final, desperate battle with Pazuzu. He invites the demon to leave Reagan and enter him instead. In a climactic confrontation, he wrestles with Pazuzu's malevolence and in an act of self-sacrifice and redemption, throws himself out of the bedroom window. Karis falls down the long flight of stairs and ultimately dies from his injuries, having expelled the demon from Reagan and in doing so found his own redemption. In the film's conclusion, we see Chris and Reagan packing up and leaving the house. Reagan is recovering from her wounds and has no recollection of the events. As the film ends, it leaves viewers with a sense of lingering dread and questions about the nature of evil, faith, and the thin line between the supernatural and the rational. So before we dig deep into the film, I wanted to take just a few minutes to talk about the history of exorcism. And um, we talked a little bit about this in our episode on the last exorcism, specifically within the evangelical Pentecostal church. And most denominations just don't have exorcism, but because the Pentecostal church is charismatic and there's a lot of emphasis on spiritual gifts um, and also spiritual warfare, they believe in it all, including demonic possession. And so uh, once the Pentecostal denomination got up and kicking in the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, you started to see it sort of come back in popularity. Um, Is there anything specifically within the Catholic Church that you found that you wanted to talk about? A couple of things. First, like the thing that really stood out to me uh, was there. Okay. Um, in 1526, Martin Luther was the one who added exorcism to the baptismal rites. I did not I know that. that. Me neither. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's really interesting because that's very shortly after his nailing of the um, thesis. He did. Uh, mm-hmm. That was, I think, almost 10 years after. So not very long after. Because yeah, you would think um, he would just maybe do away with that because it seems very Catholic. Well, one would assume, but because it wasn't even like a part of the Roman rite at all, the fact that he was the one to add it begs the question, like, what even does it mean to say that it's Catholic? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, number one. Number two, um, I was reading up on like how many actual exorcisms have been done and performed and like proven. Uh, not a lot of them all things considered, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we're not talking about your casual church down the street doing like a cleansing, uh, mm-hmm. like specifically through the proper channels, not a lot of them. Right. Because um, like the Pentecostal church, it's very willy nilly, whatever, but the Catholic church is a, there's a book, there's a process, there are And like, channels. obviously, yeah. And obviously it can be to its fault, 
right? Like that was a whole bit in the movie was he was like, it's very bureaucratic. I have to go through the proper channels. Mm -hmm. And hypothetically, if that was a real thing or if someone was really going through that, you wouldn't have to go through a grocery list of people to help this person. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, Pentecost, like, I mean, I think there's a lot to be said about Pentecostalism being a very spiritual movement and a very charismatic movement in which a lot of times people tend to get swept away um, by their emotions and their gut feelings on other people, um, whether they are proven or not. Very true. (laughs) What about Um, you? Yeah. So there's been kind of clearly a long history of, of exorcism. Like you said, the, the formal ritual book for exorcisms was published in 1614. And, Apparently at first, you could be a priest or like a lay minister, either one. So in the beginning, it was a little more flexible as far as like who could perform it. And then over time, it did become more rigid, like you had to be a priest and and all that stuff. Um, they revised the exorcism guidelines in 1999. Um, the Vatican it says issued revised guidelines for exorcism, reaffirming the church's commitment to the practice and emphasizing the need for proper discernment and psychological evaluation before performing exorcisms. Um, And at this point, it's very rare that they will do an exorcism because most of the time they deem it a physical or a mental thing. And they acknowledge that, well, in the past, we just didn't know a lot about mental illness. And so a lot of times that's what it was. And we didn't understand that. So it's interesting that even the Catholic church now is like, it's not really a thing most of the time. Yeah. Which I mean is great. Cause I, so one of the things AJ and I were talking about with regards to the movie, cause I did watch it again today and AJ helped or he watched it with me and we had a little combo about it um, was how thorough they were and how many channels they went through before even considering exorcism um, to the point where, she is only going to a priest because all of the medical staff she's gone to up until now is like, listen, dog, hate to break it to you, but there's nothing we can do. Maybe see a priest. I know it's crazy, but maybe do it. And even then the priest was like, listen, you know, what yeah, even well, like- and even he um, I can't remember if this is in the movie or if this is in the book or if it's in both, but. I remember he specifically, Father Karras, goes ahead and seeks an exorcism, still believing it's mental, but he thinks, well, if we do the exorcism, if she believes she's possessed and we do the exorcism, maybe it will deliver her of like the thought that she's possessed. Do you that was that from the movie? So in the movie, it was one of the doctors who tells her that. Mm. The doctor tells the mom, hey... Um, like it's purely in her head, but if it is in her head and you do this anyway, it might help her like get out of that state. Mm -hmm. And then father Karras actually tells her like, if you want to do an exorcism, you're going to have to go back to the 1800s because we don't do that anymore. And she was like, since when? And he's like, since modern medicine became a thing and psychiatry became a thing. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I love that that's in here. And I love that everyone is a skeptic until they're not. Yeah. It's fun. Okay, so other than our typical our typical exorcism here, like what other religious themes from this movie did you pick up on or do you want to talk about? So one thing that I didn't realize, and I've seen this movie a couple of times before watching it recently. Um, I didn't real and this is gonna sound so goofy. I didn't realize or it hadn't stood out to me that Father Karis was Greek until I watched it this time around. And for whatever reason, um, this time around, I was like, yo, your boy is really Greek. And the reason that that stood out to me is because a lot of times Greek people don't lean towards Catholicism at all. They lean towards orthodoxy and the idea of him already feeling out of place, Mm -hmm. right, because of his loss of faith, because of his questioning and all this out and the other on top of like his mother is speaking to him in Greek. Obviously, he has roots there. And, like, joining a society in which there are not a lot of other people like him just make me wonder, like, is that, could that have contributed, might that have contributed to his doubt, the idea that, like, he might not even, he might not belong there as far as, like, an outsider's perspective because it's strange, 
I don't know. It just caught me off guard. I don't know. I didn't really think about it until this time. Yeah, I've never caught that either. I think to me, I've, I've always thought he was Italian. Well, too. Yeah. I thought so too. And then I watched it this time around, and the mother is literally speaking to him in Greek. In Greek. And, like, there's a whole thing about it. And I'm like, damn, like, I wonder if that is a part of his turmoil. Because yeah. it really is such a integral thing for that society is, like, their Orthodox roots. So the idea of him becoming a Catholic priest, a Roman Catholic priest, <laughs> a Jesuit, uh, is kind of crazy. Yeah. So he's like a fish out of water on all fronts. And Already. I do love that about him. Um, you know, at this point, it's become almost a trope for like um, there to be like a priest or a person in religious authority with doubting and like questioning um, yeah. And I'm sure at the time, I mean, this movie is a template for a lot of things. And I think that's one of them because it's just, it's so interesting to follow him and it makes him just so human and so believable and also trustworthy because, you know, he really has Reagan's best interest at heart. And 100%. he's only doing this because the mother is just desperate, you know, yeah. And also uh, Jason Patrick, the, uh, the I mean, Jason Miller. I want to say Jason Patrick because Jason Miller is Jason Patrick's father. Anyway, um, <laughs> Jason Miller, um, his just his face. What an impactful face. He's very he's very empathetic is what yeah. it is. He has very empathetic eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, AJ was actually looking up uh, TV tropes, tropes in TV and movies after we watched it. And he said that one of the tropes that stood out to him is actually called the Seinfeld isn't funny anymore trope, um, which is the idea that people now think Seinfeld isn't funny because they've seen so many things from Seinfeld, like be reenacted, influence so many other things. Now, now they look at it and they're like, OK, and and I feel like, unfortunately, this movie can suffer from that for a lot of like a new modern mm-hmm. um, perspective. It's like, well, I've seen this. This isn't that scary. Right. And it's like, well, that's not the point, babe. <laughs> like for, for me, it wasn't even a religious um, element that really got to me this time around watching it so much as it was uh, watching it as a parent because mm-hmm. it's my first time watching it as a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I can't I can't imagine what she has to go through seeing her child suffer like that and not having any answers. Like it's maddening. And the idea that she will literally, because you know she's not a religious person. Nope. And because especially I did love that they made her like a very secular person and also in Hollywood and like her Hollywood friends and all this, that and the other. I love that it took place in that kind of a setting. Mm-hmm. I thought it was very fun. Um, like they're not in a, they're in a house that isn't theirs. Like so much about it I thought was really fun. Um, but I love that even though she is this very worldly person, worldly um she's still <laughs> resigned Pentecostal speak right, coming out uh, but <laughs> she is also resigned to like I don't know what else to do this is literally all that I have left and like that moment where she's on the bench with him pleading with him to just go look at her is incredible I agree that's such an impactful moment um and to go back to what you were saying about this this movie being different for modern audiences when I watched it this time I was thinking the same thing. I was like, so much of this just seems templated, like by the book, possession, occult. Like I had forgotten that she got possessed because she was playing with a Ouija board. I knew you were going to say that. I and I was like, re- and then I was like, wait a minute. This, that's what's happening is this thing set pop culture on fire and people probably oh, didn't even yeah. know what a Ouija board was before they I saw this that. movie. So fun fact um i they they always leave it very like they leave it very up in the air as to whether or not it was the ouija board or not right but a lot of people assume that it was implied it stopped a lot of people from buying ouija boards at the time um what's funny is like the timeline of it all so the movie came out in 73 um in like the 60s there was this really big influx in spiritualism in america um, and they're like almost like a rebirth of spiritualism, which is why the Ouija board started getting sold as like toys and stuff like that. Um, and I think it's really funny that this movie is capped by that, like giant revitalization of spiritualism and like free love 
and like liberation. And then it's also capped by like the 80s and 90s with the satanic panic. It kind of just mm-hmm. fits perfectly in the middle. And it's just such an interesting like piece of media from that time because it really does pull and push. Like it pulls from everything that came before and like built off that. Because before this movie, there wasn't really any exorcist movies. Like this was it. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, correct me yeah. if I'm wrong. Well, uh, I did. I did look into that a little bit, and there, yeah. there are some, but this is the first Catholic little girl possessed. Yeah, all the things that we think of when we think exorcism, this movie was the first one to really do that. Did you yeah. watch um, the the version you didn't see, like uh, the newer edition of it? Have you seen it? I have seen it, but I did not watch it this time. So, same. Um, One thing that I'm sad they cut out was actually the bit where they're sitting on the stairs. I understand why they cut it out. I understand why they cut it out, but I did miss that small snippet of conversation because I feel like it adds so much to the idea of, like, why is this little girl the person who ended up suffering like this? Mm -hmm. And it's, like, because... They want to just take all the hope from everything. They want to make it us feel like it's impossible for God to love us. I have that exact quote girl. if you want it. Oh, please. So that's one of the things I ha- I'd written down in my notes is there's this kind of lingering sort of question in this movie. And that is like, where is God and why is this happening? Mm. Um, and in the the book, this this quote is from the book, and there are a couple of little nuggets like this in the book that sort of give you a reason, even though I don't think we need one, but it's, I just love it. Um, and this is Father Marin talking to Father Karras. And he, when Father Karras is like, why, why is this happening? Why this family? Why this little girl? And Father Marin says, yet I think the demon's target is not the possessed. It is us the observers, every person in this house. And I think, I think the point is to make us despair, to reject our own humanity, Damien, to see ourselves as ultimately bestial, as ultimately vile and putrescent, without dignity, ugly and unworthy. I was Um, like, William Peter Blatty, oh. Listen, (laughs) when I started reading that book, it was not prepared. I'm for the pros and there is, I don't know. There's no reason for that book to be as well written as it is, but it is beautifully written. Um, like for the subject matter, even it's just, it's so well written and it really does like bring you into that world and like make you feel, Oh my God. It's so good. Yes. Um, but yeah, I'm sad they took it out. Uh, but I do love that. That's, that's the whole bit. That's why it's a kid. Right. Is, um, it's the ultimate betrayal of innocence is seeing this child, this good kid. And I think that's the part that's so fucky. She's a good kid. Oh, you know? I know. Like earlier in the movie <gasps> when she and her mom are just kind of joking around and she's like talking about wanting a horse and she's just I- like, oh, well, can I have it though? Like, yeah, she's just, it's, it's just such a genuine interaction. And we mm-hmm. don't get to see very much of her. It's just a normal kid, you know? Um, yeah. So it is that much more devastating when we see her going through this just insanity. Mm. Also, I don't know if you realized it, um, which you might have. I didn't realize um, the when uh, the police officer comes by, the detective uh, mm-hmm. comes by the stairs for the first time and he picks up that little, like, clay bit from the floor um he like dusts it off and you can't really tell what it is but it almost resembles the talisman that father Marin found at uh, the, beginning the little pazuzu yeah. at the beginning mm-hmm. it's very much a call it feels like a callback to that because of how he picks it up and because of how i dusts it off and it's one of like it very much clearly ties reagan to the murder um mm-hmm. because he like took it with her as he fell or he took it from her room mm-hmm. um but I did love that it was like this weird little callback, it looked like. Because at first I had to rewind it. I was like, is that the amulet from the beginning of the movie? And no, it is not. It's not. <laughs> oh, but what a lovely little like resonance that doesn't really mean anything, but like it's just a little echo. It's a I fun, it's a fun echo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
There's a lot of really fun echoes in the movie. And that scene um, where I think Kinderman is his name, when he's in the kitchen with Chris talking about mm. Reagan and talking about Dennings, who was who fell out the window, like that scene is beautiful also because he's basically saying to her, I, th- I, know. I know your daughter did it, but he's not saying it. And she's very much like, would you like another coffee? (laughs) There's a a moment. There is a moment. It's right after she says, would you like another coffee? Where she goes up and the camera pans to her and you see her and the detective is behind her. And for a split second, you can see the dread on her face. She kind of lets her guard down for a second. And then she hears that he's walking up behind her and she's like, and like gets back to it and puts on a face. And I'm like, yeah. There's, a so lot of, there's a lot of nonverbal acting happening in that scene that is yeah. just really great. A ton of subtext happening that I, I really love. Um, yeah. Something else I wanted to, to talk about as we're talking about the mother-daughter relationship, like that really resonated more with me this time. But I was thinking about it and um, I don't have any like grand conclusions to draw from this. It's just something I noticed is that her situation is almost like an inversion of the Holy Trinity because in the Holy Trinity, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in this household, we have the mother and the daughter and the unclean spirit. And I, again, I don't like know what I that love means. That. I don't think it's any kind of that. like statement about women or anything. I just think it's another one of those just like, it's just an interesting it's a little weird. Mirror. It's a weird inversion. It's so good. Oh mm-hmm. my God, that's so good. And since this really set the template for the possessed girl, I mean, right. somebody intentionally made the choice to make it a Yeah, because the story that um, it was originally based off of, it was a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, like the original yep. uh, story of the little boy who was, but he's 14, um, of the teen who was possessed and had to go through. Also, that story is awful. He went through so many different um, exorcisms and like so many, it took months for him to like be okay. Um, and like he lived a long life, like a long, boring life, which good for him um, after that. Yeah. But yeah, it was very much an intentional choice to make it a mother, a famous actress and her daughter. It's so specific. Yeah, yeah. I've always thought that was an interesting choice to make it. Yeah, a famous actress. I'm like, I wonder why, why her? But it does make the story really interesting. Like you said, with her and all her like Hollywood people and that whole yeah, group. Man. It also, I feel like it talks to a lot of the culture, right? Because those like, I don't know, it's a it's a really interesting time. Um, I feel like the like late 60s, early 70s, because you do start to see like class divisions and stuff like that again. Um, so you're seeing like these people who are obviously very well off, like have all these parties, like play these roles where they're protesting, play these roles where they're like social advocates, but really they're worried about like going off to Europe to spend time. Like, technically, her life is perfect, right? And this little girl's life is perfect until it's very much not. So The Exorcist is, you know, it's it's often touted as the, the scariest movie ever made. And so we definitely have to talk about what are some <laughs> of the scariest and otherwise memorable moments to you? Um, okay, right off the dome. The first look at the Pazuzu statue I loved it because my brain immediately went to like, especially like that weird camera angle shift when they have like the statue here and Father Marin is here. Very And they were in the desert. It's very much giving like Jesus and the devil in the desert. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. I loved it. Um, (laughs) Such a fun positioning. Um, The made me deeply uncomfortable to see the desecrated church Uh, for like the split second they show it. I was like, I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. It's just something like, I think it's because it's such common imagery. And like, obviously, like I hold it near and dear for obvious reasons. There's other people who do it too. And you look at it and it looks fine until it does it. And you're like, ah, I hate that. Thanks. Another thing, it's very subtle. When Father Karras walks into Reagan's room and he's walking around and he sits down and she just stares at him for a minute. And then the drawer just comes out and they pause and he just looks at her and he goes, did you do that? And she's like, yep. And he goes, do it again. And she goes, in time. And he goes, no, do it now. And she goes, in time. Like that sequence to me, it's like, 
the perfect use of subtly creepy, like subtly unsettling. There's no jumps. There's no quick anything. Mm-hmm. There's nothing loud. Everything is very subdued. And yet I'm uncomfortable. I love living there. <laughs> yeah. That to me, it's, I don't, I don't really have um, too many like specific scary moments but there are things that resonate with me and that's one of them is just the quiet moments when things feel off like mm-hmm. when Chris is walking around the house at night and it's dark and she's like hearing shifting in the attic and Carl one of her housekeepers is like oh it's rats you know and she's right. like it is not rats and so then <laughs> you hear it again it's just it is it's very unsettling and you know, little things like that just sort of set off this bomb. You know, it's like a timer yeah. and like it keeps ratcheting up. But I do love those moments. And then, of course, one of to me, one of the most powerful moments is the iconic moment when the priest arrives at the house. Oh, my God. It's so good. And that shaft of light coming out of Reagan's bedroom. <laughs> I mean, it just feels like... <laughs> it just feels like, oh, like, whoo, things are about to happen. Like, it's just you, such a great moment. Do you want to hear something crazy? That happens, and there's only 25 minutes left in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, the book was the same way. I just yeah. finished the book, like, a month ago, and the exorcism, like, it just seemed to me that, like, the exorcism went on throughout the movie. No, it doesn't. It happens just the movie and the book just right at the very end. And it's intense, but it's just a little piece of a much bigger story. I definitely, um, I don't know what hap- what's happened to exorcism movies or horror movies recently, but they've lost the plot, man. You got to keep it at the end. You got to keep the people guessing, you know, because it really does pack such a harder punch when you invest into the characters and like, like all that medical drama with Reagan for like half of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's another thing that really just still makes me uncomfortable. That scene when they're, when they're doing, when they're her putting throat. a needle in her neck and, and like, blood. I'm like, why is she gushing blood? And they just, and it just keeps happening. And she's like clearly uncomfortable. Like, oh, anything with like the machinery mm-hmm. involved with 70s medicine uncomfortable you know and i think we needed all of that to understand why her mom was desperate because she has to go through all those tests twice and the doctors are like nothing is showing up i mean so they've been through this just terrible ordeal so you sort of understand like why she's so frazzled like it's not like she went to a psychiatrist once you know like it's been a whole thing yeah and like this poor kid is like literally 12 and they're like, hey, don't move because we're putting a needle in your neck. And then like the loud whirring of the MRI. It's awful, man. Like, I don't know. Machines now are scary to kids. Machines then were literal monsters. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I I am glad that they put it in. Um, I read a or I was listening to a review of someone else um, talking about the movie. And they said that, I guess, in the 70s, there was a whole bit about like medical drama was a really big thing in movies and in media and stuff like that. So they feel like that's why that part was so drawn out was because it, there was a big market for that at the time. But I definitely think it adds to this like mystery of what is happening. Why can't we get it on paper? Yeah, me too. But yeah, I think going back to what you said earlier, I do think that like all of the space in the exorcist is part of what makes it such a great movie. Um, But, like, I remember the first time I saw this movie, I was 14, and um, a a friend of mine, a normie friend of mine, she and I, we were on the cheerleading team together. Love. um, Yeah, and she, like, got into, she knew I liked scary movies, and, like, we we started watching scary movies together, even though she wasn't really a horror fan. And so we watched uh, the first Friday the 13th for the first time together. Oh, did wow. not know about the end and like oh we're yeah holding each other at the end during the jump scare it totally got us it was great but Amazing. um but I watched The Exorcist with the same friend like I said I was 14 and I remember at that time I had not seen a lot of what I would consider like serious horror movies sure. and so I remember my takeaway at 14 was nothing happens for like half an hour and then something <laughs> shocking that you can't believe and then nothing happens for another half hour and then it's shocking like, really <laughs> so funny 
at that time, I I don't think I could fully appreciate, you know, what the movie is. Cause Texas Chainsaw Massacre was the same way. Like when you grow up hearing, oh, the scariest thing ever made, scariest thing ever made, and then you finally watch it without all the proper context, like it doesn't always line up the way you want it to. When did you first see this movie? I think I was 18 or 19 because I first watched it. I watched it with AJ for the first time. And I remember us both being kids and both still going to church together. Like it was still very early on in like our mm-hmm. like dating situation. And he found it on the internet. Let the black sails fly. Um, <laughs> we watched it together and we were both just like, holy shit. Cause it was this thing that like, so like all I knew about the exorcist growing up um, was that my dad went to go see it by himself when he was 12 years old at a theater yeah, my dad's parents just dropped him and his friends off. Dude, he went to go see it by himself at a theater at 12 years old, and then he couldn't sleep for like a month. And yeah, this I man not. was an altar boy. So I'm like, of course he couldn't sleep. <gasps> oh, <laughs> That's crazy. no. Yeah, he grew up, his mom, um, my grandma was very Catholic. His entire family is very Catholic. Um, so him saying this really, like even now, he's, a, he's an older man. He's like 50, he's about to be 57, 56, and he won't watch religious horror. He loves horror. He will not watch religious horror. Well, I'll be honest with you. Like, exorcism movies in particular are hard for me. Um, I find myself to be very uncomfortable a lot of times. And so if it's not really good or if I'm not, like, finding, like, other value in the story, I just – like, It's really hard for me. Um, And I mean – I grew up Pentecostal, so, like, I've seen a lot of stuff, not demonic stuff, but just outrageous, you know, spiritual expression. So I'm used to, like, the spectacle and the hullabaloo, but for some reason, it just makes me very uncomfortable. And so, um, like, like I tried to watch The Pope's Exorcist on I heard Netflix. it's good. Yeah, I heard it's good. Well... To me, it wasn't good enough to keep watching. I was like, okay, well, I'm uncomfortable and I feel like this movie's not very good. So about an hour in, I was like, I can't do this for another hour. Now, I will say Russell Crowe as like this cute little exorcist riding his Vespa around Rome is adorable. Cute. Is adorable. Redeeming Um, factor. Yeah. (laughs) So, but I was like, I was like, I can't, I was like, I can't, I can't do this. So I don't know. Maybe I'll revisit it, but like that's just so I get it. I understand how his dad kind of feels, you know. I so like two things. One, because I'm gonna forget it if I don't say it now. Say it. Um, one of the things that also stood out to me visually, and then I'll go back to where we are, is um, that once it's like a two two or three seconds of screen time when um, Father Karras goes back into the room after they leave the room from doing the exorcism, and he looks and he sees his mom on the bed. Oh, that was really hard for me. That was really hard for me. Uh, it's like three seconds of like if you blink, you miss it. Um, it's creepy. It's uncomfortable because the room is already like they changed the hue of the room. It's blue now. Mm-hmm. Everything feels very cold and very sterile. And then he looks and he just sees his mom. And I'm like, Mm-mm. Um, <laughs> so that is a thing. Aside from that. um, I weirdly love watching actresses movies. Um, any kind of spiritual horror, really. I, I'm, I love it. Um, and I think it's in part because, like, growing up, because I don't know if it's because I was Pentecostal or because I had mental illness. Porque no los dos? Um, but growing up, I had, there was a period of time in high school where I, like, I swear on my mother's life, I saw, like, things walking around Mm. and like hanging out that weren't supposed to be there. Um, I was, yeah, I didn't sleep for like a year and a half. Um, because every time I would try to go to sleep, they would just be in my room. Um, it was awful. I had really bad sleep paralysis during this time. Like so many uncomfortable negative things. Right. My mom was obviously very concerned for me. She saw me have panic attacks when I would see them out in the street and she'd be like, what are you looking at? And I'm like, it's right there. What are you talking about? Um, so this is like a whole period of my life. And like now as an adult, I'm like, oh, I, it's probably mental illness. You know what I mean? But at that time I was like, no, I see spirits. I see them everywhere. 
Um, and it wasn't until my mom and my aunt, this is very, buckle up. Um, so my mom and my aunt took me to this lady who I'd never met and like they had never met. My aunt heard about this lady because she was a pastor's wife, like some random pastor. I don't know. So she took me to their like back room church situation. Mm-hmm. And the lady was telling me a story. And for whatever reason, like I knew the end of the story. Like I knew how it was going to end. Mm-hmm. And I said it out loud and she was like, mm, all right. Um, and like, she was like, I'm going to pray for you with my eyes open. And I was like, amazing. And then we sat there for like 30 minutes and just cry prayed. And then I didn't see them anymore. You know what I mean? Super interesting. Mm. Okay. Okay. Like, so growing up, Constantine was obviously like a big comfort movie for me because of the idea of like this person who can see like everything going on behind the veil or whatever. And, like, when I saw The Exorcist, I was like, damn, that's terrifying. Um, But there's so much redemption and humanity in the story that I love it. And I think that's the thing is, like, people oftentimes forget that, like, when when an exorcism story is done right and Mm. told right, there is so much beauty in it, Mm. um, in that release, in that freedom, right? The same thing happened when I watched The Conjuring for the first time. Like, mm. the way that movie ended and, like, because I, I think it's a catharsis thing. I don't know. But, like, waiting for that last breath where, like, everything is fine. Like, yeah, some shit just went down, but, like, we can breathe now is so huge to me. And I think that's why I love them so much. So that leads me into the self-sacrifice oh, yeah. in this movie is so beautiful. And there is... A moment. So throughout the whole movie, Father Karras is like a little just he's a little wishy-washy. He's wishy-washy is not the right word, but like he's just he seems a little unstable. Like he, mm-hmm. he just doesn't, seems like he doesn't have sure footing. He's trying to find sure footing, you know. Um, but there's this moment where I mean things have things have gone wrong. I think Marin is dead at this point. And there's it's kind of a long shot, and you can see the staircase and Father Karras and Chris are sitting on a little bench together. Mm-hmm. And she says, is she going to die? Mm. And Father Karras says, no. And he says it like with authority. He says it like he knows what needs to be done. Like I'm ending this now. Like he's just, It's like he's gained his confidence. And that's when he goes upstairs. 100%. And takes care of it. And so, yeah, 100%. Um, offers himself to save this child. What a turning point, man. And that's, AJ had mentioned it earlier. That's what stuck out with him more than anything else Mm -hmm. was like, oh, okay. So like when he goes upstairs and yes, you have the ritual and you have the rites. And he says, he realizes Father Marin is dead. And he like goes up to it and he says like, you bastard or something like that. And he punches, he starts like strangling Reagan and he punches Reagan and stuff like that. And it, and that's when, it wasn't until he got to that point that he says like, enter me, come into me. And I think it like, I, I said to him when he's telling me this, I said, it's such a human thing to do. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's a beautiful love. It's such a human thing to do. And then AJ says to me, it's such a divine thing to do. Mm. And because it is that marriage of the human and the divine, isn't that so Christ-like? And it was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. But like, oh, that's that is fantastic. That is fantastic. Oh, taking on attributes of the son to save the daughter. Is that where we are? And then and then his specific um, his charm. I don't know if you noticed was of St. Joseph. So is that like fatherly figure? It was so beautiful. And I will say too, like, so we haven't talked about like the effects at all, which is not something we always do on this show, but him falling down the stairs, oh my like God. so perfectly brutal, like so that oh my you God. understand, because we heard about Dennings falling down the stairs, but, but we didn't see it. it. And so when he lands at the bottom and um, I think it's Father Dyer, one of With his like fellow priests, like, yes. And he says his last, ra- I mean, it's just so... Like full circle, just impactful. It's it, and that's the thing is like the first time I watched that movie, I had the same feeling that I did this time when I watched that movie. And it's when the movie was over, I'm like, wow, what a beautiful movie. (laughs) 
You know what I mean? Which is I crazy. mean, yeah, it's it's um, true. It's true. But it is such a beautiful portrayal of faith and it's such a beautiful character study of this complex man, you know, with with complex emotions and complex history. And mm-hmm. it's just seeing him lose his question, his faith at one point, lose his faith and then find it as a way of saving someone else is so beautiful. Well, I love it. <laughs> so um, is there anything else uh, specifically that you want to talk about before we give our like final thoughts? I did not realize uh, that the uh, father Marin mm-hmm. was not an old man during this movie. I don't know if you knew that. Um, he's a young man. He had old man makeup on. Really? Yeah. He was just in, I think he was in The Force Awakens, and he looks now like he did then in the 70s. So yeah, if you look up- Max von Sydow, like, Max, he, yes. he's one of those guys that's looked old forever. Forever, yes. Um, but yeah, he was, like, not an old man. He had old man makeup on, which is crazy. Wow. I had no idea. Interesting. Um, yeah, I didn't know that. And then lastly, I love the parallel the parallels drawn and this is like a last final note on part of the reason that i love this movie so much is like the weird parallel that's drawn between um pazuzu entering father karis and father karis killing himself and the story in the bible of when jesus casts the demon out into the swine and that entire horde of swine just drowns themselves yep run off the cliff Mm mm-hmm perfection um and the fact that Bazuzu at one point called him uh what do you call him a faithless swine mm, oh oh that's uh, great that's isn't good that stuff. so good that's good isn't stuff that so good? <laughs> yeah that I think is my final note <laughs> yeah you know I think too this is something I forgot to mention earlier but I do think that like William Peter Blatty and William Freed can both, I'm sure this is out there if I looked deep into it, but I did not on purpose. They both seem religious adjacent. Like, so, I, I feel like they they have some element of belief, both of them. One of them does. I can't remember which one because they both have the same name. One of them does and one of them doesn't. I'm pretty okay. sure it's the director that doesn't. I think um, you might be right about that. The director doesn't, but the writer does. And because they're a team, there's this uh, channel that I watch on YouTube. This is the review that I watched in regards to this movie. Um, he says it was like lightning in a bottle. Mm, the um, two of them together. Because it was the two of them together at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love Ugh. that. What is it's team? so good. Okay. So if you can, if, if, the, if we can do such a thing, like get, give me your, your final thoughts, your bottom line on The Exorcist. Bottom line on The Exorcist, people are complex. Um, Faith and faith journeys are complex. And at the end of the day, it's a beautiful thing to see someone do something so crazy out of love as to give their own life. Everything else is just secondary. Effects were fire. It's great. Obviously, it's an incredible movie. Bottom line is like, isn't it beautiful to see... I don't know, just someone's full circle around like that. Like that character study of Father Karras is my favorite thing in that movie for sure. Yeah. I mean, I can't say it better, but I'll still, I'll give some thoughts. So, I mean, it's a classic, as we said at the beginning, it's intimidating to even talk about this movie um, because so many people have, and it's, you know, it's regarded as one of the, if not the greatest horror film ever made. So it's just, it's influence is undeniable. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said earlier, watching it now, certain things kind of seem cliche, but then you realize that it's because it is setting the template for those things that we've become so familiar with. And not just like in the horror movie and like in art, but just in like culture of Mm. like the occult and possession, like what we what people what just regular people think about it comes from this movie. A lot of it. Um, It's it's a fearless film. I mean, we didn't even really talk about the super disturbing stuff that happens but like some truly disturbing things happen in this movie. But it's also like a beautiful, quiet movie, like we said. And I really appreciate that about it now. I didn't when I was 14. I appreciate it now. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> and like I said, ultimately, I can't really say that I enjoy this movie, but I respect it greatly. Like, I don't think I will ever visit this movie just like purely for entertainment. I think this is the third time I've seen it ever. But its impact, like I said, on not only the horror genre, but American culture, it, it just cannot be it cannot be overstated. And for I think sure. ultimately what you said about life is complex and faith is complex. And this movie is just is a great reflection of that, I think is, is also my takeaway as well. So, um, so people who enjoy the exorcist or who don't enjoy the exorcist, but respect it like me, um, what other media would you recommend they check out? Mm, if they haven't already seen it, Rosemary's baby. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of really fun stuff with just like anything seventies occult that is proclaimed as like really well done Mm -hmm. do yourself the favor and just dive head first in there (laughs) um trying to think of anything else honestly i know that it has been beaten to death because of all the sequels and all the garbage and stuff but i love the first conjuring movie so much Mm. feel like covering it next month Oh my God. It takes a lot of the spirit of what was in this and kind of plays with that. And and the idea of it, like them trying to prove that it's not a spiritual thing and all of that. It's very fun. And I feel like there's a lot of the similar beats. Um, And if you want to see somebody, an exorcist who hams it up, I would suggest checking out the 2000s film uh, Constantine with Keanu Reeves. Uh, Very hammy. So much fun. Oh, I love that movie. I love that movie. (laughs) Yeah, love it. I I do have that on the list to cover at some point uh, in this series. I I don't know when it's coming, but I would love to talk about it because it is. It's so fun. Oh, it's incredible. Oh, for so many reasons. Also, the comics. Also, the comics. Lastly, if you have not uh, gone through or looked at the um, catalog of Hellraiser comics, or not Hellraiser comics, what was it? It's not Hellraiser. Oh, it's yeah because it's got a different name it's not constantine it's hell something uh i will tell you it's hellblazer yes hellblazer um hellblazer was originally published uh by vertigo um it has some of the it's just so good the stories are really good it's very like metaphysical in the way that it does um exorcisms and like spiritualism and they play with that with the art Oh my God, it's so much fun. That's the first time you see Swamp Thing is in a Hellblazer comic. Okay. Oh my God. Did it's you so watch uh, the Constantine TV show? Did you like it? I did. I Me loved too. it. Um, I love John Constantine. It was like high key an obsession in high school for like obvious reasons, as previously stated. Um, but those comics, man, really something else. And the fact that he's like a British asshole to top it off. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> from, from what I understand, like the TV show John Constantine was a lot closer to like the comic than Keanu Reeves was, even though yeah. I, I love Keanu. Come on. So well, Keanu Reeves, I love him. While the character is similar, he plays it so different. And also the mm-hmm. tone of the movie is very different than the comics. But um, somebody once explained it to me as like a noir. And I was like, after they, I, I heard that, I was like, yeah, it checks out. It's perfect. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So I have a a few recommendations. Rosemary's Baby was on my list as well, along with uh, Don't Look Now and The Sentinel. Those are both 70s sort of vibey, you know, movies with some, well, Don't Look Now doesn't have occult stuff in it, but The Sentinel does. Um, So those are all great to check out. There is a fantastic documentary on Shudder called Leap of Faith. William mm-hmm. Friedkin on The Exorcist. And the man just talks about this movie for like two hours. And it's great. You get a lot of insight into like why he filmed it the way he did, his partnership with Blatty, just a wealth of stuff. Mm-hmm. Very entertaining. And then They're also on Shutter. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, also on Shutter, there's a seri- series called Cursed Films. And they talk about famous films that are allegedly cursed. And so there's an episode on The Exorcist, and it goes kind of into religion and horror territory. They talk to, like, Ooh. real, quote-unquote, real exorcists, and there's a guy on there. His Oh, gosh, what's his name? It's something Cowan. Mm. And I looked him up because I loved his opinions because of this documentary, and I looked him up. 
and bought his book, he wrote a book about religion and horror movies. And I was oh, like, that's dope. It's so good. It's so good. Um, I don't have it next to me, but I'll have to like put it in the show notes. <laughs> yes, I will put it in the show notes, folks. It's not cheap. I paid like 40 bucks for this little paperback because he's like a professor and it's just like his sort of like dissertation or whatever. But highly recommend. It's such a great book. Um, and then also, somebody brought something to my attention today that apparently there's a Pazuzu character in Dungeons and Dragons. Have you come across this? Um, I technically play Pathfinder, but it's pretty oh. adjacent. Oh. Um, <laughs> I know nothing I, about any of it, so. <laughs> I believe it. Um, a lot of Dungeons and Dragons uh, monsters uh, come from some kind of mythology or mythos. So it makes sense. Yeah, he's in the Forgotten Realms wiki. Yep, 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 yep. There you go. It, so it if you're the same vibe, four wings, big ween. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a snake? <laughs> um. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Bizarre but fantastic detail. Love. It's so love good, that. dude. Yeah, man. Um. Also, I mean, I would be remiss. We would be remiss not to mention the Exorcist novel. It's very close to the movie, but there's just it's just more depth and more nuance. Lots of wisdom written. from Father Marin. Yeah, it's just it's good. Now, it's a hard read though. I mean, like all the disturbing stuff that happens in the movie happens in the book, and some of it to me is even more disturbing because it's more descriptive, it's more intimate. It's but, not as screen. Yeah. Yeah. But it is definitely worth a read if you love this movie. Um and also, I recently Got to go to Georgetown in Washington, D.C., and I got to visit the Exorcist Steps. I saw your stories on that. <gasps> and oh it was amazing. God. Like, every horror fan, it's like a horror mecca. If you're ever mm -hmm. anywhere near the area, like, you got to go. Plus, Georgetown is just like a lovely little neighborhood. It seems in nice. Very quaint. So we ate lunch there, too, at this place called Martin's Tavern. And, like, that's where JFK proposed to Jackie because the yeah. Also, like, that's a thing. And I'm sure that Georgetown has had that vibe for a long time. Mm -hmm. So to make this there, yeesh, you know? Yeah, that is interesting because the original exorcism, as you mentioned, happened to a boy in, I think, St. Louis, Missouri, which is mm -hmm. very different. Very different. Than Georgetown. Um, so, yeah. yeah, Georgetown is this very affluent, swanky area um but so and i didn't realize like so i knew the exorcist steps were a place you could go but i did not know that the house also is there the facade of the house is there i didn't know that either um, now reagan's bedroom like the famous shot from the poster with the shaft of light that piece was built like that piece doesn't exist on the real house but mm. this and the steps are right next to the house That's like crazy. right next to it so they built out that piece of reagan's bedroom for a couple of reasons one so that logistically her window would be right above the steps mm. um so it was just, it was very cool to be there. It was like 100 degrees in D.C. when we were there. So it was kind of like gross. Yeah. Um, but worth it. Dang, noted, dude. Yeah, if you're in the area, check out noted. the exercise steps. And like there was a girl there like working out, like going up and down the steps. And she was just very nonchalant about uh, having like a TikTok moment. She didn't care. I was like, I bet she has to deal with this every day. Also, what an awful place. I don't know. It couldn't be me casually going up and down those steps. Nah. After, no, couldn't be me. Because, like, seeing that, I immediately associated with that, and I would just be terrified that I would fall. Yeah, same. Like, I was, like, I was, like, filming, like, my feet walking up the steps, and I was, like, if I have an accident and fall down these steps because I'm trying to, like, get a video clip, I'm, like, wouldn't, man, irony, you know? Woof, man. Yeah, for real. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. So um, thank you so much for coming on today. Please tell the people about all your creative endeavors and where they can find you. Uh, my name is Nat. Um, most of my stuff is on Instagram under Luna the Spectre. Uh, that's L-U-N-A-T-H-E-S-P-E-C-T-R-E. -E -E. I do printmaking stuff. Um, I'm working on a giant over the garden wall piece right now. Um, and I'm also a tattoo apprentice, so it'll be really fun in the future. <laughs> yes, because I will definitely have you tattoo me when you are ready. We'll be here. 
Yes, you and then another one of our friends from the BC Club, Abby, who lives in Memphis, she's also tattooing. tattooed by her, yes. So (laughs) I need – she's, like, doing it. So I need to book time with her. It's only, like, three hours away from me. So She's in Nashville, right? uh, I think she's still in Memphis. Oh, okay. I think she's still in Memphis. But either way, she's she's not that far from me. So, like, I need her to do one, and then I want you to do one. I'm just going to start collecting tattoos from my friends. (laughs) That's the best way to do it, man. Yeah, for sure. Um, So, folks, as I mentioned, next month is The Conjuring. And um, another one of my spooky horror sisters, Logan, is going to be coming on. Um, I was on her show, uh, Ghoulish University, that tells from the Crypt podcast that I was on. So, she's coming on. And, uh, yeah, so watch The Conjuring. I hope we're deep in spooky season. So, I hope that you are enjoying all of your Halloween doings. Um, And until next month. Stay spooky.